here. So we're covering body 26 today. In the last verse, we talked a lot about grace, um, this divine grace. And it started with Bhauta um, Karam. And it was about looking at life through the angle of grace that every moment and everything we see as this divine gift. And it's this understanding that hukam is a continuous flow of giving. And when you know everything is grace, then even sorrows and sadness can be used as a tool to convert that from suffering into salvation. And liberation, Guruji says, towards the end of that, is from accepting bana. Bant kalasi bane hoy. So freedom from our suffering, freedom from troubles, liberation from bondage comes from understanding hukum. And this theme of hukum has been ongoing right from the beginning of the Japji Sahib. And Guruji says that this is a blessing just to know this way of thinking, to know this way of seeing the world as grace, seeing the world as a constant giving, to change the way we think is a blessing. And to convert that from a lifestyle where we're always thinking about ourselves to a lifestyle where we're always praising the divine, praising the universe for its countless gifts. Guruji says, Jisnu Bakshe Sift Salah. Whoever is blessed with that sifti, with that salah, with that constant meditative way of looking at the world, Nanak Padshahi Padshah. Nanak says that they are amongst all the kings. A person who thinks like this, works like this, is the greatest king. Being blessed with praise is the highest honor. So what are these people like? What is the qualities of these people? Guruji begins the next verse by talking about qualities, about guna. Amul guna, invaluable, priceless qualities. So the verse begins talking about divine qualities and saying that these divine qualities are priceless. Seeing the world as an abundance, seeing the world as a constant giving, this kind of graceful bounty of gifts, is to be in a state where you're not lacking anything. This isn't just something that we tell ourselves. This isn't something that we have to convince ourselves to change the way we think. Within yourself, you become far more content because you're no longer lacking anything. If you genuinely see the world as a constant giving, then you've been receiving your whole life. But we don't tend to see the world in that way. We see the world as our struggle. A whole world we've been, a whole life we've been struggling and we've been fighting to try and just gather whatever it is that we can. Like there is a limited number of resources and we have to fight for our own. The Guru says this is not the way to think of the world. In fact, that way of thinking of the world is what has caused all of your suffering so far. The way that you go out there and battle the world has caused your suffering. 
So instead, we can see the world in the other way, which is this constantly overflowing of gifts. And if the world is constantly giving you gifts, then you're constantly full. You're not empty. You're never lacking anything. You have not just sufficient, but you have more than enough. So this is this positive, virtuous way of looking at the world. When we don't have that, what we're left with has been called the Panjchor, the five thieves. So what are these five thieves? It begins with calm, desires, krodh, anger, lobe is greed, mo is attachments, and ahankar is this sense of self-pride, self-importance, things that you identify with, say, these are mine, I own these. So these are called the five thieves. But although they're called thieves, even though they're called the five thieves, what these actually are are five states of mind. These are all within you. These are ways that we think. And the first three are all related to wanting. The first three in the list all leave you in a state of wanting. So let's really look at this, this idea of wanting. You can only want something that you don't have. Or you can want something that you have a little bit of but not enough of. You can never want something that you have more than enough of. When you're full, you're full. You may want something that you have enough of for later. You might say, I have enough now, but I still want more. Not for now, but I'm just keeping a nice pile for myself for the future. But when you have, you have. When you're full, you're full. So wanting comes from this idea that we, at the moment, right now, don't have enough. So there is this kind of lack within us. And the reality is we spend most of our life walking around in this feeling of being unfulfilled. That's what most of our day feels like. Life feels like a constant chase. Like you wake up in the morning and you've already got things to do. There's already something that you're missing out on. It's always looking for that next satisfaction. Whether it's the small things in life or whether if, even if you think about the big things in life. You're always waiting for that next satisfaction. It could be to do with personal relationships, when I get married, when I get children, when my children get married. Or it could be to do with possessions. I've got such and such, but I can't wait to own one of these or one of those. So you always allow yourself this feeling of being unfulfilled. And we convince ourselves that that's a good way to feel because that strives, that drives your ambition. That's what makes you successful. Because if you were full, then you would never really try and achieve anything in life. So what we're doing is we're trying to 
convince ourselves that we need to fill some sort of emptiness in our life. But this is the thing we never realize. Every day you wake up, you feel like you want to fill an emptiness in your life. But what we don't realize is all the days that we've lived so far, nothing that we've achieved has filled that emptiness permanently. We don't realize that. Nothing so far has worked, but maybe today will be different. Maybe this year will be different. We like to do that in the new year. Like this year, I'm going to sort everything out. But we never actually look back and say, hold on, nothing has worked so far. Why is it going to work again? Surely I'm doing something wrong. Surely there's a direction that I'm facing that everybody else is facing, which is just fundamentally flawed. Going in a particular way of thinking every day. I've got to achieve, I've got to achieve. Because I know that there's an emptiness. I don't actually want to look at my emptiness. I never actually want to look at the void. I just know it's there somehow and I've just got to fill it somehow. And people do all sorts of things to fill that void. Everybody knows that there's this kind of lacking feeling inside them. And we do everything to fill it. Either we fill it with material possessions, with relationships, if not, then we just go all out, all out, drugs, just to get out of this feeling. Narcotics, alcohol, entertainment, clubbing, it's just this f constant filling of the mind that says, I've just got to fill this void. But no other experience has filled that void and nobody shows you, well, maybe let's just look at this void. Let's see what the problem is rather than trying to patch it up all the time. So we have to understand our minds. We have to understand why do we get into this continuous cycle of craving? Where does the cycle start from? Where does this emptiness start from? Where is the void? It actually starts with the delusion of emptiness. Let me say that again. The emptiness that you think you're trying to fill is actually a delusion. So you're starting with a falsehood. You're starting with something that you think is there. You never really look at it and then you spend all your time trying to fix a problem that you've never looked at. But the truth of the matter is there isn't actually a problem. The emptiness in your life is actually a delusion. But you'll say, but it feels so real. I wake up in the morning and I don't feel that wow, euphoria. I don't feel that satisfaction. I feel unfulfilled. There's a, there's a genuine feeling there. So why is that? Where does that come from? We've looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs before as well. And Maslow's hierarchy of needs talks about the absolute basic needs that humans and all living beings on some level or another, need in their life. It starts with food and shelter and a sense of security and survival and it sort of moves up that chart. And so we have convinced ourselves that those are genuine needs. We need food. We need protection. 
The gurus have demonstrated that those things are not actually needs, those things are actually desires, those things are actually wants. And there's a fundamental difference there. We think we need to survive. Let that sink in for a moment. We think we need to survive. The gurus have demonstrated that that need is in fact a want. A desire, not an actual need. But where does that come from? Every living being is born with this innate desire for survival. Every living being. Plants, the smallest insects, tiny little cells, individual one-cell organisms. Every single one has been built in with a desire to survive a survival instinct of the individual. And everyone is born with this really ingrained into their consciousness, whatever their level of consciousness is. All living beings have a sense of consciousness, some sense of awareness of itself. Yeah? But as living beings have evolved, think about now millennia, millions and millions of years of the evolution of beings. As beings have evolved, humans and our thinking capacity has evolved more than the other animals, plants around. Our consciousness is now the pinnacle of consciousness on earth. Our, let's define what we mean by consciousness, yeah? Consciousness here in this context means our awareness of our body, our awareness of our surroundings, and our awareness of ourselves. We are aware of our own awareness. We know we're alive. We can feel our aliveness. Yeah? And that is something that has evolved over time. Consciousness has evolved and humans have evolved in such a way that which this is why our brains are bigger than most other animals. Our ability to be aware is far greater than other animals. But along with that has been this built-in survival instinct. That's also grown. As our consciousness has grown, that survival instinct, which the smallest animals and insects probably just have the survival instinct itself, we now no longer just interested in survival. Look at all of us humans walking around. We're not just all trying to survive. As our minds have evolved, our minds are looking for more the desires of the minds have increased. And what we now see with the evolution of consciousness is that we are now in a position that human beings can overwrite our basic survival instincts. You may be wondering where I'm going with this. Everyone is born with survival instincts. But our desires have increased over time. Our evolution has increased over time to such a point that we now no longer need to satisfy animal instincts within us. We are now able to overcome our animal instincts because our brains have evolved in such a way that we can now control to some extent what we think. Whereas animals, to some extent, they're just living out their hookum. So, 
within us we have this constant struggle. There is this desire that's within us. And that has now turned from just a survival instinct. Most people in the Western, in the developed countries, are not really looking to survive anymore. We've gone past that survival instinct. We want to survive, but once we survive, we're not just happy with that. We're now looking for more. So we're looking to fill even more desires that in reality are self-made. We are surviving right now. Everyone's surviving quite comfortably. But we're not happy with that. So as our minds have evolved, the mind is now looking for more things to keep it going. And that is now starting to feel difficult in life. That's now starting to feel like our daily struggle, our daily trauma. Because if you woke up in the morning and you realized, I'm alive, I'm pretty happy. I've got food. I'm alive. Most animals would be happy with that, right? You wake up in the morning, there's no lion trying to eat me, and there's food. I can pretty much just get on with my day because I'm, I'm not really looking for anything else. We're not doing that. Why is that? We're just animals. We're bodies. We've got food. There's something more. So that something more is self-inflicted. The mind has now evolved to such a state that it can say, actually, I don't, I don't just want to survive. Give me something else. And at no point have we actually looked back and said, hang on, I don't need to satisfy that voice in my head because I'm alive. I can just be alive. But we don't do that. So we just try and satisfy this voice in our head. We're just constantly trying to satisfy a voice in our head that is telling us to fill a void that doesn't really exist. Where is the void? Where is the need for more things than just to survive? Where does that come from? It all comes from our brains. Our brains are so evolved, our brains are just making stuff up now. It's just giving you things to keep yourself occupied. But meditators have demonstrated this, this can be overwritten. This is the cause of our dukkh. The mind that has been built in to us. Yeah, we didn't ask for this mind. Nobody asked for it. Nobody asked for our desires. It's been built in. But through meditation, because our, our minds have evolved, our desires have evolved, but because our minds have evolved, we also have the ability to overcome the problems that our own minds have created. Our minds have created the problem and our minds are able to overcome that problem. Meditation has now shown that this is possible. And so we don't have to satisfy the desires of our mind. In fact, the inbuilt desire to survive is also something that we can override. And the meditators and the gurus, look at Guru Arjan Dev Ji, he's shown that, he's demonstrated that, that I don't need to survive. My survival isn't my priority. Guru Tegh Bahadur Ji and all the Shaheeds. Their own survival, they've overcome that. They said, I'm not really worried about my survival. So meditation has now shown that we can overcome even the most basic animal instinct to, to stay alive. We can overcome that. We can say, I don't need to stay alive. Why do I need to stay alive? We can overcome something far deeply ingrained within us. We can overcome that. So when the saints say that I have overcome the cycle of life and death, that means that they've overcome that. 
that desire to stay alive, that desire to just be awake in the morning. They said, I don't need that anymore. I've overcome that. But this is beginning to sound a bit strange. Like, why would I want to overcome my own survival? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to overcome something that's so naturally ingrained within me? What I'm saying is this is an option that most of us don't even know exists. Most of us don't know that this is something that we can have. We can choose to live like this. And because we don't know that this is an option, we never try. We've never heard of it. And because we've never known that there's an option to overcome our thinking, our thoughts, our desires, we don't know that that's optional. So we just carry on listening to our desires. And that's where we wake up every morning and we just say, oh, something feels missing in life. Oh, let me just go and find something to, to fill that hole. We don't know that that hole is self-inflicted. We don't know that that self-inflicted hole, that void, is optional. We don't have to fill that void. Because we don't know that, we just wake up every morning and we say, I feel incomplete. Don't we all feel like that in the morning? Something's missing. I'm sure when I fill this, that'll get better. I'm sure when I get married, that'll get better. I'm sure when such and such happens in life. Maybe when I get the next job. Maybe when I can stop working, then I'll feel better. Maybe when I have enough money. So we're constantly just trying to fill this sense of emptiness. But the emptiness, I'll go back to what I said in the beginning, the emptiness is a delusion. The emptiness is optional. But we don't know that, right? So we're constantly looking to satisfy our minds in more interesting ways. Once you've done something once, your mind says, yeah, I've done that, I've done that already, give me something else. I've tried this, give me the next version, give me something better. Why do you think technology is moving so fast? Because the mind is saying, <coughs> but can I do it faster? Can I do you still have to do the same things. But your mind is saying, but maybe I can do it faster. Maybe I can buy myself more time. So the mind's always looking for something to happen. And what you're left with is this irrational and intangible sense of emptiness. There's this emptiness inside you that you just can't explain. You don't know why it's there. And you may have everything you need in life. Everything all the money, all the riches in the world, but it still doesn't fill that emptiness. Do we genuinely think the richest billionaires in the world are the happiest people? So what's going on? The emptiness is the problem. So the mind has this emptiness that it created and it now comes up with a process by which it can actually fill that emptiness. Remember the emptiness is not real. I want to keep reminding you this. Remember the emptiness is not real. It's actually just boredom of the mind. The mind just gets bored very easily. And in order to fill this boredom of the mind, it's come up with a process in order to fill that boredom. And it starts with calm.
It starts with desires. It convinces itself that it needs something. It convinces you that you need something that you really don't. There's a really simple way to think about this. Think about a kitten, a small cat in a room, just getting bored. And then it sees a feather just floating around the room. All of a sudden, it's fixated on that feather. It didn't want the feather. It doesn't need it. But because it's bored, that feather is now the most important thing. It's like, I'm going to get that feather. So it just starts doing whatever it can to try and get that feather. The feather's just floating around minding its own business. This is what your mind does. It comes up with stuff to entertain itself, to keep itself occupied with. So this is where that impulse comes from. All of a sudden, you didn't know that you need something, but all of a sudden there's a desire. I really want this. And so from desire being the initial sort of that deep-rooted impulse within you that says, I just need something, I need that. There's a process and more and more emotions start getting involved. You know, these things are called the five thieves. They're not actually thieves. In fact, this is a sequential process. We think of these as five individual things, but they're actually a sequence that the mind goes through. It's a psychological process that we all go through. So you start with wanting something, whatever it is, you want it. Because you feel empty, that there's this emptiness that you haven't really bothered to look at. When you keep wanting it, and keep wanting it, and keep wanting it, and you don't get it, what happens? Frustration comes in. So from a desire, I want that, and it's not happening, it very slowly, gradually, without you noticing, moves from a simple desire that says, wouldn't it be nice to have that, into all of a sudden, I really need that. Like, why isn't that happening now? It just gradually moves into frustration, growth, anger. And if that continues, and you just <coughs> really want it, and really want it, and it's just that desire keeps building, you now want it so much that you want it more, you think, than anybody else wants it. So it's now more important for you to get it than for anybody else to get it. If there was an option for someone else to get it, because you've been desiring it for so long, it becomes a greed. What does greed mean? Greed means I want it before you get it. I don't mind if you get it, but I need to get it first. That's an obsession, right? To want something more than others, before others, regardless of others. Like if I have to get it and that person doesn't get it, I don't mind. So from desire, it moves to frustration and anger. And if it continues, it moves to greed. I really must have it. Very slowly, it starts becoming an obsession. More. Like, I must have it. So finally, you get it, right? And then you just hold on to it really tight. Like, finally, I got it. And then you're showing everyone, yeah, look at me, I got it. 
you now build a bond with it. Calm, growth, lobe, more, attachment. You build a bond with it. Hey, I've got it now. And the more and more things, the more and more times that you follow this process, I want this, I really must have it, I've got it. Once you get it, the more and more times you create that more, all of those attachments eventually build the sense of I. Who is I? I'm the person that has this, has those, lives in this family, has this, does that, all of these things becomes your identity. This is who I am. So the Panchchor is a process that we all allow our minds to go through. And we've been doing this process every day since the day that we were born. And then you go on your spiritual quest and everyone talks about your ego and your identity and who am I. And you say, where did this identity come from all of a sudden? I was just being a nice guy. I didn't hurt anyone. Where's my ego come from? It's come from Kaam, Krodh, Lob, Mohankar. You've got to do all the other steps and it just creates your hankar slowly, slowly over time. From a very small child over time, you just build this identity of who you are. And now somebody has to point it out to you that says, you've been doing this since day one. You've built such a big fortress of identity around you. But that's the thing that's causing all of your problems. That's your duk. So, out of nowhere, you now have to deal with this, if you go on your spiritual quest, you now have to deal with this thing called ego. So the question is, why are there thieves? Why are they called thieves? Why aren't they just called emotions? What are they stealing? A thief has to steal something, right? Guru Amr Dasji, the third guru, on Ang 600, explains what they steal. Guruji says, Is dehi andar pancha chor vasa. Within this body, dehi means body, Is dehi andar pancha chor vasa. Five thieves exist. Kaam, Krodh, Lob, Mo, Ahankara. All of these five. Amrit lute. They are stealing Amrit. Man mukh nahi buje. But while I'm facing my mind, I just don't understand that. I don't know my own Amrit because I'm just lost in the mind. I'm lost in the, the Panjjor, so I don't understand that they're stealing something from me. And because you don't know that they're stealing from you, nobody's listening to the fact that you're actually struggling. You're struggling with these Panjjor. These five thieves are coming and just stealing from you, robbing from you, and you don't know. But you know that you feel a sense of struggle and emptiness and somebody just sort my life out for me, please. But nobody's there to listen to it. Amrit lute But your mind doesn't understand it. The mind-facing person won't understand this. So they're stealing Amrit. They're stealing a divine essence within you. There's something divine within you and they're stealing it from you. Remember, where do these Panchjor come from? They're self-inflicted. The mind, through evolution, the mind has created such a 
great system for itself that it allows itself to be so distracted. But because we've evolved in such a way, we've now evolved so far away from our beautiful essence, our divineness, our own holiness. So they're stealing your own Amrit from within you. They're not stealing some external Amrit. They're stealing the Amrit that's within you. But you can get it back. Guruji doesn't point out a problem and then say, tough, better luck next time. The Guru says, no, we can sort it out. We can do it. We can fix this now. Because our minds have evolved, because our consciousness have evolved, we can use that to our advantage. Within our own consciousness, we can experience our Amrit. So, what is this Amrit? What is this divine Amrit inside us? Isn't that the million dollar question? How do we feel it? How do we get there? The first thing is to know the problem. You need to know the problem. Then you need to know what does the solution look like? What is the alternate option? Option A, I've been living with this one. What is the other way of living? Is there another way? Because pretty much all of us live with our desires, with our anger, with our greed and all these sort of things. What's the alternative? The alternative is to replace the five vices with five virtues. Guruji talks about five virtues, five characteristics in life. Sat, Santok, Daya, Taram, Sach. Sat in this context means charity. Santok means contentment. Daya means compassion. Taram means this divine way of living, this very natural, easy way of living. And such means absolute permanent truth. So Guruji says that there's an alternative. There's a story of Guru Nanak Dev Ji when he was a young lad and within his own family, within his spiritual tradition that his family was in, there's a tradition where young men when they come of age, they have to go through this ceremony where they sort of get initiated into their taram. And Guru Nanak Dev Ji was said, yep, you know, we have like a dastar bandi for young boys, like you're going to tie your turban. It's something a bit similar. Guru Nanak Dev Ji is invited to attend this ceremony. There's a priest and I would imagine that the parents would have invited all their mamme, chache, tai, all along, all the uncles and aunts said, this is, this is happening to us. Guru Nanak Dev Ji is no ordinary child. Guru Nanak Dev Ji is very wise. So Guruji asks this question, says it straight to the priest. He said, can you tell me something about this string that you're going to put on me? And the priest says, uh, yeah, I think um, it's what we do. It's our religious tradition. Uh, you know, you're a Hindu. This is kind of this is what you do. It makes you connected to your religion. It's part of God. 
it makes you a godly person. It makes you religious. And he thinks that, that, that should be enough to answer the young boy's questions. Guru Nanak Dev is not happy with this. What do you mean? If I wear this string, I become a religious person? I become a better person? What, what do you mean? And why is it that there are a lot of grown-ups that I see wearing this string and they're still corrupt? Why are they doing it? What's happening? Does the string work? Does it not work? So Guruji asks another question. He says, what happens if the string breaks? This magic string. What happens if it breaks? The priest says, we go to the market, we buy another one. Guru Nanak's not satisfied with this answer. He says, when I die, if this is my connection with God, what happens to the string then? Does it go with me? Does, do I have to show God, look, I got the string, so you've got to let me in. And the priest says, no, when you die, we cremate the body and the string burns with it. Now, Guru Nanak Dev Ji knows there's nothing in this string. Well, Guruji knew anyway. So there's a, a verse that Guruji has written about this. He says, make compassion there, the cotton. He says, make contentment, santok, the thread. Make self-restraint, the knot. And make truth, the twist. This is the sacred thread of life. Compassion, contentment, self-restraint, truth. This is the string of life. He says, if you have that kind of a string, then go ahead and give it to me. Put that string on me. This string will not break. It cannot be stained by dirt and it will not get burnt in fire and it will not get lost this string of contentment, compassion, self-restraint, keeping yourself in control, truthfulness. Blessed are those beings, says Nanak, who wear such a thread around their neck. So there's an alternative way of being. And Guru has called these the five virtues. And what we notice is that these five virtues are also related to the Panchjur. The first one is Sat, giving. From desire, from a sense of always wanting, you change your attitude to one of always giving. Charity, always giving. In every opportunity you give rather than take. So calm, Desire moves into charity, into giving, into givingness. Krodh, which is anger and frustration, moves into contentment. Santok, the next one. So from a sense of being agitated all the time, you get a sense of calmness. Santok. Guruji says each one of these can be transformed. From greed and self-interest, lob, you move towards there, compassion for others. Lob means, I want it before you. Daya means, it's all yours, take it. Compassion. Transform greed into compassion. More is attachment. It's a lifestyle of ownership. More moves into taram. Where we spend our whole life 
just pretty much wanting things, holding things, grabbing onto things. We now move into taram. Taram is this detached way of living life. Non-attachment, non-ownership. From hankar, which is my false identity, I move towards such my permanent true identity. From my temporary body, from my temporary mind, from my temporary life, I move into my permanent self. Guruji says, transform your five virtues into five guna. My all guna into guna. Banj guna. So each one of these need to be transformed. And these are the qualities of the meditators, of the bhagats. And this way of living is what Guru Nanak Dev Ji calls the priceless qualities, Amul Guna. These are the priceless qualities that you take on in your life when you have gone through the process of the four stages of spiritual development, listening to the Guru, accepting the Guru's message, turning that from wisdom into an internal search, internal meditation, and that final transformation. The people who have gone through those now have these five virtues and these infinite virtues, which Guruji calls Amul Gurna. And that is the beginning of this verse. So we'll continue that next week. Vaheguru Ji Ka Khalsa, Vaheguru Ji Ki Fateh.